Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Contracting Handbook. It's Mike Kenoki coming at you from Fairbanks, Alaska. And today, my guest is Mr. Brant Taylor, the tool hacker himself. We're going to talk about the lack of an entry point to the construction industry, gaps in building science, and how these affect our construction building companies. There's a massive housing shortage worldwide. There's a massive labor shortage worldwide. Are there solutions? Listen in, find out more. Here's a couple of clips from today's episode. It's regurgitated knowledge to mention the fact that we are missing half of the skilled tradesmen workforce uh, in the United States alone. I am telling you, Mike Kenoki, that there is hope for eliminating trash from the construction formula. We are very close to a breakthrough for creating a zero waste process. We've got to be talking with people who care about building houses that are designed to last centuries, not a couple of decades. I think humans are builders by nature. And if we're not building houses, we're not building kitchens and bathrooms, then we're building community, we're building apps, we're building airplanes, we're building, we're builders of some sort. It's in our blood, it's in our DNA. The amount of, of self-awareness you have to deploy to run the business successfully, there's a lot of balls to juggle, right? Status quo is what brought us here to these compounding crises. 56% of America can't afford to buy a house. That's our primary means of conveyance, Mike. You can't necessarily blame the next generation for not wanting to get involved in that mess. Hack the planet, everyone. Let's hack the planet together. Everybody, today I want to introduce a man that is a self-described construction industry hacker. He invents tools to make the contracting life easy. And he wants to change the way people see the construction industry in many ways. He's creative genius as far as I can tell. He owns the tool hacker. Now he's here with me. And you can learn more about Brant Taylor at the tool hacker on Instagram or Brant Taylor on the Hammer app. Brant. Thanks for being here, man. Mike, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on your uh, second season. Well, thank you very much. I, I'm I'm really stoked to have you here. Uh, Brand has a very extensive background, but I, I want to get into that a little bit later because I, I want to return to the conversation he and I were having uh, on Monday morning. And one of the things that Brant said to me was, uh, you know, the construction industry doesn't really have a good foundation or building blocks for the industry itself. And we all know that a good home or building starts with a good foundation. And, um, and, and it's not just here in the U S it's a global issue with, with how people enter the construction industry. And so Brant, let's start there. Sure. Sure. It's regurgitated knowledge to mention the fact that we are missing half of the skilled tradesmen workforce uh, in the United States alone. I don't think it's just about public perspective that is causing our skilled trades gap. Um, I think there's much more at play. You have to have a front door to your organization. You have to have a place where new applicants can walk in and apply for the job that they want, right? It makes common sense. When you look at the construction industry, where is our front door? If we don't have a clear sign that says now hiring and here's the way, and a big giant arrow pointing to the entrance to our industry, 
Um, how do we have an effective recruitment funnel at all? Uh, and so what does the front door for our industry look like? And who's manning that front door? Who's the, who's the face or the persona or the personality that's there welcoming and ushering people into what's, what's our recruitment look like? Is it a job fair? But that's the only place I see any kind of a, uh, a static presence from people who run construction businesses to try and find new help. You're only going to be filtering out the unemployed if you're looking at things like job fairs. And if, uh, if we don't have an active front door, uh, I don't know how we can expect to see more traffic through it. Yeah, that's, that's super valid. I sure. completely fell into it. I was in restaurants when I was a kid and then went to college and then traveled around the country cooking and then wound up in Breckenridge and some guy, a buddy of mine said, hey, you wanna, wanna come frame houses? And I was like, sure. I hear but, from a lot of people that they fell into working in, in this line of work. It seems to be a yeah. common sentiment. I know that some of the guys I grew up with were in an alternative program where they went to a, they went to trade school, but not carpenters. Right. You know, I mean, I, I never saw that like trades to me when I was a kid was plumbers, electricians. And that's kind of all I knew. That's all I right. really mentally. I, I didn't have a, any picture of the world and, and carpentry. I didn't, you know, I took a shop class in eighth grade. I never thought about carpentry. I became a right. carpenter. I became a good one, but it, it was definitely by accident. I started hanging out recently with uh, the shop class podcast. This is a mm. group that uh, I highly recommend anyone take a look into. Uh, they're on Instagram at shop class podcast. You can also find them on YouTube. Mm. Um, and these are shop teachers who spend every Wednesday night uh, networking with other shop teachers across the nation. And thank God for these people because they are the front line of the next generation of education. Um, Shop Class Podcast, definitely worth the time. Um, but the question I'd like to ask to you and reflectively to the rest of the audience is if someone were to approach you on the street and they were to see that you had your construction shirt on or they saw that you pulled up in a construction truck and they said, I'm looking for a job in the trades, where would you point them to? If there's no known front door that you would refer somebody to, then ostensibly the front door does not exist. And a question beyond that to, for everyone to ask themselves, if the front door is hard to find, then what does the path to upward mobility look like for someone who wants to, who has an interest in construction and wants to start uh, their career in the trades? Because really what statistically we've found is more than 70% of the working class people in our country have tried construction at some point in their life. They've tried it. The problem is they didn't stay. And if you look at the reasons why employees become disenfranchised and don't stay working somewhere, almost all the time is because the path to upward mobility, the ladder we're supposed to climb, is vague and undefined. That next step of success is not there. If someone's going to climb a ladder, that next rung has got to be rock solid for them to put their foot on so that they can elevate their career. And if we don't have a plan for what our new recruits are going to do to get to the next level, then not only are we struggling with where's the front door and who's manning that front door, but what do we do with these people after they get in the front door? 
I want to ask a very hard question to the people who are so eager to bring people in. What do we do with them next? Once they're in, yeah. once they're interested, once the hook is set, what's our next plan with them? These are questions that are systemic to the future of construction. And if we're going to fix the skilled trades gap, we've got to start with putting a sign on that front door and then leading these people onto a path and an upward ladder of success that is clearly defined and that has some kind of a regiment to it. We better throw every resource we have at that so that we're not sending people who have an interest back into the wild to just flounder. You know, going back to your first question there was like, what, what are you going to do when someone approaches you? Um, you know, because that's a big one. You know, for me, first of all, if someone actually walks up to me and says to my face, how do I get into the trades? I'm going right. to sit down and talk to them because right. that's, that's huge incentive right. for me. Cause that actually, that, that shows a lot of confidence. I mean, I was lacking confidence when I was young to go walk up to someone with their hoodie on and getting out of their truck, you know, some big, scary general contractor. Right. We're not that scary. We're just grumpy. Um, <laughs> we're just tired. We're just tired. But I would take my time to explain what there is to it and, and try to get some glean some idea of what the experience is for them, but where to direct them. You know, if I'm not looking for help and not knowing, not they're unvetted, you know, I might point them to some other contractors right. and say, you know, these people, this would be a great place to go pick up some experience laboring. It's not going to be pretty, but you're going right. to see how a house is built. Sure. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to do a lot of dirty work. That's a dangerous, it's a slippery slope, I think, for a lot of builders. Um, I've been burned personally by that a number of times by referring someone to go work somewhere else. I know, even when people call and want a house built, and I'm like, no, nah, I can't, or, you know, I want a remodel done. They're like, can you recommend someone? I'm like, eh. I want to, but if you don't get along, it makes me look bad, you know, because you never know, you never know. But another contractor could totally click with them. So sure. referrals are referrals are hard. And then it's definitely hard with unknown entities, like, like a new kid who wants to learn. But returning back to that, I don't have a place to send them. The Small Business right. Development Center doesn't have something for laborers, for people who want to learn. If you want to learn about running a business, you can go to them. Is there a lo you could you could try to join a local union? You could try. We've got to but. we've got to establish a clear point of entry that pays people to learn. If we want to bring somebody on, there's only one point to do it in, and that's the very beginning of a project. Very difficult to hire a new person mid-project who has no construction experience. But if you hire them at the beginning... Oh, yeah. I've done right, it. I've done it. Right. So it, it, everybody, I think everybody out there has made a relatable mistake with bringing somebody on midstream, and it's like there's just no chance for them to survive. There's really not. You not. just watch your margin going down, down, down. Right. And then after a couple of days of that kind of discouragement and that kind of frustration, um, those those new workers who maybe had a good shot or had a good future, had a good potential, uh, those new workers are frustrated and disenfranchised. And they become part of the statistical pool that tried it but didn't stay. We got to find a way to get people to try and stay and retaining talent is really what the issue is. I don't think that there's a shortage of desire out there. Humans are builders by nature, and if we're not building houses, we're not building kitchens and bathrooms, 
Then we're building community. We're building apps. We're building airplanes. We're building, we're builders of some sort. It's in our blood. It's in our DNA. So I think it's very intrinsic that we want to build. And I think plenty of people would gravitate toward the trades if there were a more concrete structure to be able to establish some early success. I'm going to write something down there. Because that was really good. That was really good. That was very, very good. I mean, everybody out there needs to take a breath and just absorb that. I recently attended the Building Science Symposium in Kansas City, and it's only in its, in yeah. its second year of development. Um, but what a, what a talented and gifted group of people who care uh, so much about improving the future of the built environment. They had a roundtable discussion at the end of the second day about keeping craft alive. And that is a hashtag in the movement that's sponsored by Fine Home Building Magazine. All you have to do is search Instagram for hashtag keep craft alive. And you can see the effort of hundreds, maybe thousands of builders worldwide who care deeply about what's happening with the next generation. First and foremost, I think we need to focus on keeping the craftsmen alive. The average age of the skilled worker in the United States is 60 years old. So I'm trying to figure out ways to make the craftsman's life easier, less stressful on their body. Um, that's why I call myself the tool hacker. I'm trying to eliminate strain and stress on the job site so that we can promote the message of keeping the craftsman alive first so that our aging builder stock can perform better and perform longer past uh, their expectancy because we need these guys to stick around in every way, shape, and form. We need these guys to stick around to help this next yeah, generation we, get on their feet. Yeah, we, we definitely need uh, longevity going on here. And, and, you know, we lost a lot of trades after the last housing um, collapse, you know, right. Cause people didn't see a future. People didn't see a future in it. I mean, I was like, I, I did fine. Cause I was on my own and I, and I, I just pivoted and I, it, I wasn't making a ton of money back then. I wasn't really, I was just chunking along, but sure. But you know, um, so your question about bringing people in and then what are you going to do once they're in the door? what direction um i'm gonna have also on the show uh gina hoyt who is the co-founder of big dog construction i wonder if that program that her and i are going to talk about is a better blueprint for what for what we need here in the states and what right. i don't like i don't know what they're doing in australia i don't know what they're doing in britain our great our uk our uk probably has trade programs but sure um but yeah you're right i mean there's got to be a, a an energy put into recruitment, right across the board. Um, I'm not seeing a I'm not seeing the movement. So it's going to be one of my big questions for for a lot of people this season, and and including Brett Goen of the Hammer App, um, who I'm going to be hopefully speaking with later today. Matt Bangs, Matt. Yeah, and I that that app is really neat. I because I'm seeing stuff that I don't know anything about. Like I, right. Instagram's fine. I'm seeing lots of houses, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's another box, another day. Um, and then, I mean, super creative people, but, but on the hammer app, it's like, I was looking at this picture and this guy is says 953 feet below sea level. And I was like, please elaborate. Right. And we yeah, start talking me. and he's in the, he's in the show. He's in the show can, um, um, 
aqueduct that brings water to New York City from the Shokran Reservoir. And I, you know, I went to college. I lived in that area for, for a long time. And I knew about it, but I didn't know what it looked like under there. And then it turned out this guy, you know, fishes in the same town I do in Alaska. So very cool. Oh, yeah. It was really neat. And, and I got to see his really fascinating work. And he's young and, and you know, it gives, a play, it gives people a place to be proud of their work and, and right. show like I'm, I'm, a, I'm actually a skilled human being. I'm not just a kid anymore. I think one of the coolest things that's come out of Breck's social experiment with the Hammer app is that it has shown visibly the breadth of available jobs in this sector, right? Because like you said earlier, your the yeah, perception uh, of the yeah, public yeah. Is, when you say tradesman is a short list, right? Plumber, electrician, carpenter, right? And when you open the hammer app, you see just a wide berth of hundreds of different avenues that you could go. It's limitless. There are jobs that are limitless inside of the skilled trades. I think that it's important that we don't misbrand the opportunity that is available to people. What we want to say to the young talent pool is there's a large volume of very good paying jobs available in the skilled trades. The truth is after you advance after a couple of years, and especially for the business owners in this industry, the money can be very good. But if you're an entry level laborer with no skill, you're not gonna walk into a $30 an hour, $40 an hour top paying scenario. You're gonna walk into an entry level position if your skills are at the entry level. So I think it's very important that we don't misbrand it because if we do, we'll add to that statistic of people who try the industry but don't stay. The business as usual will not carry us through the next 10 years. We have got to make a fundamental systematic change to our overall approach. We've got to offer the next generation something different. Right, and so I guess the conversation, maybe we should get everybody on for another like a round table or something. Cause where does that, what does that look like? You know, there's this in the States for anyone who's listening from outside the States, uh, our Congress just passed a massive infrastructure bill. If we're already short all these workers as it is, who's going to build the bridges, all the companies that do that contract out to the state where I live to build our roads and stuff, they're already maxed out. Everybody's maxed out. All the, my building community is maxed out. I was right. just talking to a, a general, me, I ran into a general contractor, buddy of mine passed him on the road. We pulled over and talked through our windows for 15 minutes. That's why I was kind of late. Um, and we're talking about next year and we don't know what we can get built because, because you actually, when a client calls right now and says, I want a house next year, I, I'm like, I don't know when it, when we can actually get you in two years ago, right. I could have said, yeah, you can be in by Christmas. This shouldn't be an issue as long as there's no giant changes or whatever from our contract. And I see a lot of people yeah. posting that they're booked out till 2022 and 2023. And some of them are wearing it like a badge of honor. Like, look at us. We're so in demand that we are booked out two years. Congratulations. But also, hi, I'm a red flag. Nice to meet you. It's, yeah. it's a huge <laughs> problem that we are, we're pushing bathroom remodel projects out two years simply because of the staffing issue. If we don't address those things from a front door mentality standpoint, then this is only going to continue to get worse. Materials are not the only thing yeah. in short supply. So we shouldn't all just yeah. be obsessed with the price of lumber. 
you know, I, I worked so hard for so many years to really brand my company, uh, straight ahead construction to, um, my community as something that was, was, you know, you're going to get a good experience. You're going to, you're not going to, you're going to get good efficiency. There's gonna be, you know, it's, it's a, it's a positive process and people would call me specifically looking for me to work for me to do work on their homes, my company, my crew, my subs. And now, you know, it's, it's like anybody they're calling every people are calling everybody now. Right. And, and you, the phones are ringing off the hook and I sure I still, my reputation still helps, but I right. can see that I can see that caliber of the people, the calls, the way they're asking questions that people are frantic and there's nothing out there. Like they don't even know I had this person called and asked to build a house the other day and they didn't even know my company name. <laughs> I'm not right. building, I am not building you a house. Right. You don't know my company name. Right. Right. <laughs> Say it again for the listeners in yeah, the back. Yeah. Mike. <laughs> so, Hey, and by the way, you guys, um, the brain bucket, check out the, you, there's a YouTube video um that i watched the other day it's a couple it's about two hours and it shows all france work and it's super cool shop class so, podcast those guys are shop, awesome yeah. yeah shop class podcast youtube video check it out because you can see it and I, I, we're not going to get too deeply into it here we've talked about it before because because it's it's just something you got to see so go check out the, the that podcast and thanks uh, mike and, yeah man yeah i i that was really fun to watch i it's i mean it blew me away and and the host but <laughs> he was it was, it was it was awesome watching him react to everything so i discovered early on in my construction experience that we are all uh we're all getting paid way too little for working way too hard and in my effort to try to turn that around i recognize the major part of the disconnect is the customer having a full understanding of what it is we actually have to go through in a given day on a job site I think the customer needs to see all of that. And if we can create a transparent process where we capture it all and let it all be seen, um, I think that's the gateway to getting people better wages for their work. That's sounds great. I'd love to get paid for all the work I put out. If you could just get paid for all the work, that would solve so many problems, wouldn't it? Absolutely. It would solve many problems. And I've got, I've definitely gotten a lot better at it over the years. You know, if I listen to all the guys, um, if I listen to all the guys that are telling right. me to know, to know my numbers, um, which I'm better at too, uh, that would probably help. Right. Well, the, it's tough to know who to listen to in that and, regard, right? Because there's, uh, there's a lot of unsolicited advice and coaches on Instagram who are showing up in your ad feed who are, uh, who are telling you if you just charge every customer for estimates that all your problems are going to go away in construction, right? Yes. Absolutely. Um, and that's a, that's a tough one. I, I, when I, when people are talking about job costing all the time and knowing your numbers and I'm like, yeah, what, but what about the mistakes that were made? You know, you can never really account for all that. And what about the cost and of learning? I know that. That's what I've always chalked it up to. I'm like, Oh, that's just tuition school of hard knocks. Right. That's but, a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. But I'm sick of paying tuition. <laughs> right. 
I'm desperate to create some kind of innovation yeah. there to where we can put a stop to that. So the, there's a lot of value in transparency with your clients, but what about transparency in the industry as a whole? If we don't get the largest amount of builders on the path to building high performance homes, to accepting the passive house standards, to building airtight, to building more energy efficiency, to building with a lower carbon footprint up front. If we don't get the largest portion of builders on board, then unfortunately every high performance home builder in the world can do their very, very best and we still not make a dent. We have to get the largest organizations on board. But as long as the NAHB and organizations like it that are at that level and higher are committed to perpetuating politics rather than science, then we can't possibly hope to steer the ship away from the iceberg in time. And if you ever want to know the pertinence of an issue and its true global importance, just look at the things that nobody's talking about, because there's nobody talking about trash. And it's seriously no. the biggest systemic problem that we're all facing as a body of builders. I want to talk about trash because waste in our industry is my big, it's definitely my, one of my biggest struggles internally with how much crap I throw away. I mean, it's, we are it's, the trashiest business on planet earth. No doubt. The industry statistics that I read almost eight years ago is that for every can of trash you've ever wheeled to the curb, the construction industry has wheeled two more right next to it that nobody ever sees. We cut down the most trees, we create the most carbon, and we produce the most solid waste of any other industry on planet Earth. We cannot continue with business as usual and expect something to change. These are very finite, very definitive outcomes that we are facing if we stay on the same track of the amount of waste that we're putting out. We're facing what I call a rendition crisis. You and I are working on houses that are built in the 70s, and there's about 10 different envelope designs that you have to be familiar with to work on houses of that age. There, there's an exponential amount more of building technology and building materials than there were 10 years ago, than there were 20 years ago, than there were 40 years ago. Imagine what the builder stock is going to have to face 30 years from now when they go to work on all the different styles of envelopes that we're producing right now in the present day. So we are facing a rendition crisis and I'm yeah. all about, I, I of all people am all about technology in the built environment. I'm all about new technology in the built environment. But if we don't do something to simplify the formula and universalize our attempt across the industry to mitigate energy efficiency, air tightness and resilience of structure, if we don't do something along a universalized format, then this rendition crisis will run us into a thousand different directions. We can't possibly hope to send a unified message to create a movement in the right direction if A, we're listening to opinion instead of fact, right? And if B, we're creating so many different delineations that we're just exploding in all of these different directions all at the same time. We can't possibly hope to steer at all because we're all moving in a different direction. If we continue to splinter away into different renditions, we can't possibly hope to reel in the problem of creating waste. For every house that we build, we have an average of three dumpsters that we fill up in the process. So just to build a house, we have to occupy waste in the landfill. 
very simple math will lead you to a very finite conclusion that that is not sustainable. It doesn't matter how many lead certifications you put into a structure or how many different uh, green label products that you use, if you're producing that much waste comparative to the output product that you're producing, it's a very short amount of time before you just scratch your head and go, hmm, that is not sustainable. That is a difficult subject. And I don't see any solutions coming down the pipe. I don't, I mean, I, I see building science improving. If you've listened to the top five names in building science, Dr. John Straub and Joe Stebrick, Peter Yost, Steve Basic, and uh, Jake Bruton, these five are the five biggest names in building science. I call them the pentaverate of building science. This five-sided triangle of building science has pretty much unanimously conjectured across the last six weeks that the problems that are facing the home building industry are too complex to solve. And I have to say, I fundamentally, wholeheartedly, professionally and scientifically disagree with their assessment that these problems are too difficult to solve. That's not how science works. We're not leaning into data and information to make these kinds of assessments. These are opinions. And that's a very dangerous precedent to set during a time when every scientist in the world is telling us that we are running out of time to steer the ship. I don't think we should persist into the future of construction merely on opinion alone. I think that residential construction should move into the future with facts and data and uh, quality information. But, you know, okay, another, another issue with my building science is that I have my, I have my wall assembly, you know, I have my local subarctic zone eight, you know, wall assembly that I, I kind of came up with me and my insulator, you know, and an architect, but, but it's definitely not the most efficient labor wise, but the thing I don't like about it is how much foam I'm using, you know, oh, sure. And, sure. Um, but it, but that foam makes it really efficient, but I am using a petroleum based foam. It's made in Alaska, which is great. It's a local product. But at the end of the project, there's little white foam beads blowing across the yard and, 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 and there's a lot of foam going to the dump because it's little bits and pieces. There's, it has no use. And that's just a small thing, but, but I'm not seeing like new pro a lot of new products coming along that are, that are like innovative and really replacing, um, waste. The house frame has undergone three changes in 150 years, California corner, 24 on center spacing and double stud wall. So we're basically at the model T of housing right now, if we wanna just compare it frame for frame. We've gotta look at framing technology for our houses and take these things down to the bones and rebuild them to figure out how to eliminate the waste. I would challenge every home builder out there, buy yourself a $100 hunting camera and strap that sucker to the corner of your job site dumpster and then watch it. It'll, it's motion censored, so it's only gonna capture the files of when something goes into the dumpster. And then watch it. It'll be about an hour or two of footage by the time you're done with the build, but it's, you set it up for a five second capture and it will, it will track for you precisely what it is you're throwing away in the process of building a house. 
it will change your perspective of how you look at building and how you look at building processes. You mentioned that you don't see solutions coming down the pike. I am telling you, Mike Kenoki, that there is hope for eliminating trash from the construction formula. We are very close to a breakthrough for creating a zero waste process. I designed what I'm calling the universal building envelope, and it uses a very small materials palette. It's only got four ingredients, and those four ingredients are designed to eliminate the use of board sheathing on the outside, eliminate the use of additional uh, wraps and tapes and sealants and caulks. We are very close to creating a low embodied energy structure that is passive house levels of air tightness right out of the gate. The minute you stand these walls, they are waterproof from the get-go. There is no construction wetting, so there is no construction dry time. We're able to then shorten the building time span, the build cycle, by hundreds of days so that houses can come together in a matter of weeks, not a matter of months. We're trying to strip down the build formula so that we can use uh, less skill in our process so that our company can serve as one of those front door entries to the skilled trades where they can get basic rudimentary exposure to working inside the skilled trades without having to understand a, a breadth of a hundred years of trade knowledge across all these different industries. We're trying to simplify that point of entry by doing something universal. And the reason we're inspired to do that is because we did put cameras on the dumpster and the cameras capturing uh, the process from the brain bucket. Every day we're throwing something in the trash. And so we can't possibly review the labor data that we are using without seeing all the packaging that we're throwing away. Just packaging from delivered products, packaging from tools, packaging from the Tell materials we it. consume at Home Depot. It's everywhere. Yeah. It's, so per yeah. it's such a pervasive problem. I believe the solutions to these big systemic problems, Mike, are right underneath our nose and have been the whole time. We just don't currently have a good vehicle for seeing them, recognizing them, and disseminating them back to the public. I really do believe that if we just put our collective builder brain power together to try to redesign the whole system from the ground up, I think we could do better than our grandparents did, don't you? Um, that was a pretty big statement there. Um, I, I, I would love to see uh, what's coming down with, with that because... We're, we're maybe it's because I'm at the end of the road that I'm not seeing any of it, but you know, we're doing a lot of things the same way up here and, and definitely a lot of our own processes that we've invented. When we have success based on our long established uh, track record and our reputations, um, we're a proud bunch and we're not going to, we're not going to abandon uh, the way we've always done it just because some jerk comes along who puts a camera on a hat and says that we should listen to him. So it's going to be an unpopular statement for someone to step forward and say, we should probably let facts do the, do the talking around here rather than feelings. My job is to let the data shine through. My job is to be a transparent conduit for this data and information to flow to the industry. Mike Gurton says it best. None of us are smart as all of us, right? You know, I'm an advocate for, for improvement in the construction industry. Um, I think it starts with when you start your business and, but I'm not like, I don't know. I, I, I can be an advocate, but I don't know who the leader is. You know, are you going to like take the, are you going to take the, the take charge and lead it? 
because there has to be a there has to be a leader in the movement who gets people to rally behind him. This industry is just now really starting to find its voice. And I think the more we have good conversation like this and the more we push good conversation like this throughout, I would say anybody who's on board with trying to lean into the future, uh, caring about structures, caring about longevity, anybody who believes against building a house that's only designed to last 30 or 50 years, those people should be the ones behind the microphone talking. We've got to be talking with people who care about building houses that are designed to last centuries, not a couple of decades. So otherwise, we're not leaving a future for our children. We're robbing them of it. It's very important, the work that you're doing uh, and the work that other people who are finding their voice uh, are doing to make sure that the right messages reach the masses because it's crucial that we move into the future with, uh, with good information and good voices at the helm. Well, I really, I really appreciate that accolade. Um, I, I agree that we need the voices there and the message to be delivered. And hey, I, I also wanted to point out, I appreciate the other day on my Instagram page, I had posted a, 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 a post about, you know, kind of just taking care of yourself, like taking some time off, you know, because there's everything simultaneously in spin while you're working, while you're, while you're living this life, while you're trying to research how to build better, while you're building. And, and you got to take breaks and you got to, you know, make sure you're taking care of yourself. And, and this young man wrote and said that he really appreciated it. He pulled over and like thought about stuff for like 30 minutes because he's super stressed out. And then you wrote him a direct message to kind of have his back too. And I thought that was really cool because, because we're like becoming the elders of the community and we need to make sure that, that they know it's okay to, to want to be better and, and that it's not just about making money because right. you have to serve yourself too. You have to really, in the end, you have to put yourself before the rest of it, even right. though you don't realize that at the beginning, cause you're just working and you think money work, I got to look good. I got to like make look like I work hard, but you know, creativity gets lost. And then, you know, the, the building science can easily get lost. And Steve basics pretty well got the base covered of long live our buildings. I think guys like you and me, we should be focusing on long live our builders, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really appreciated that you reached out to that um to that young man as well because because we all are in this together and the, the struggles are all the same no matter where we are in the world. Well, the truth is we've all been there before. Every single one of us who is building now was a beginner at some point. All of us have done something for yeah. the first time at least once. And man, I I look back on those first early years and they're a blur. I scroll through my early portfolio pictures and I'm just like, you, can, you can't even remember all the nuance of struggle that you went through when your tool set was small. You know, one thing I don't want anybody to be confused about when they see my work trailer, my setup, every single one of these tools was one project, one customer at a time. None of this was because I came from money. I started my business in 2013 with $500, an old open six foot lawnmower trailer, and a miter saw that I strapped to the top and covered with a tarp. I came from nothing. The message to be sent there is that yes, there are rewarding careers awaiting in the blue collar skilled trades. The American dream is very much well alive inside of our industry, but it is not an instant gratification scenario. It is very much a long term play. 
You have got yeah, to be in is. this for 10 to 15 to 20 years to really see it bear fruit that is going to sustain you into a retirement fund, into a dental health insurance plan. You have really got to put in some years to this. So if you've got a long-term vision and you're looking for something that's a rewarding career, I promise you, you will be hard-pressed to find more personal satisfaction than to be able to stand back after a hard day's work and say, hmm, I built that. And then come back, drive past it a hundred times on your way to other jobs every day and go, I built that one, I built that one, I built that one. There's a very deep and valuable intrinsic level of satisfaction to be awaited for people who are hungry in the building trades. But if you're entering this field thinking that you're going to break through in your first year, nope, keep shopping, keep shopping. This is not a fast turnaround uh, success story. Uh, I was in it for three and a half years before I made my first dollar clear profit. So you are going to invest in yourself. You're going to invest in your own education to a great degree. Um, and you can't walk uh, into this market sight on scene, charging customers for estimates and making top dollar pay uh, as long as you are paying tuition to the School of Hard Knocks, as you so eloquently put it, Mike. It's such a great way to put it. As long as you're paying uh, your tuition to learn and cut your teeth in this industry, um, understand where your dollar's going. Yeah, I didn't actually start saving money for a long time once I was on once I was my own company because it was all just reinvestment and a little bit of travel. But um, coming in that first year, yeah, you're not gonna you you might have a good year for what you know, right? But long term, all the things you need to learn, all the things you need to know to deal with all the clients. Uh, it's such a big deal. I think working for a remodeler is a great place to start too, because you sure. see the guts of a house, you see what's done wrong, right? Because you're going in and seeing the mistakes of 30 or 40 years ago. And, and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of mentoring a young man right now about that. Cause he's working for his dad and his dad's not giving him any, his dad's not teaching him what he knows. He's just telling right. him what to do. And I'm like, just go work for someone else. I mean, it's not going to break your dad's heart if you, right. and he's going to appreciate it. But, um, and then you, you get to see what the different levels of people do. You know, like when I have a lead carpenter, a carpenter, a middle guy who doesn't want as much responsibility, but knows what he's doing. And then a laborer, that laborer can learn a ton from those two. I mean, everything. I think it's very so, important to tell the, tell the folks who are new in the industry and who are walking in the front door I think it's very important for them to hear a message of positivity, to understand that the work that they are there to redo, these are all scenarios where whoever was working that job 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, these are people who are doing the best that they could with what they had. And that includes mm -hmm. the best they could do with whatever client owned that house at the time and whatever money that client had as well. So... All of these different, it's so easy for people to look at bad work and just go, oh, that's garbage, oh, this is terrible. And it just sounds like constant criticism. Where's the positivity there? Think about this. Every single job site is a custom solution that is custom cooked just for that situation. And it's all hinging upon how much the, the homeowner cares about it, how much the homeowner has money to fix it, and how much available skill was available at the time. Well, when we go into those houses 15 years from now, or God forbid, five years from now, and have to fix those remodel projects, 
let's do something more for our team than just to criticize the things that we see. Let's truly take an eye of uh, impartiality and try to understand that these projects were done with the best resources that people had available to them at the time. The Brain Bucket has made that crystal clear to us. There's not a lot of intent to do harm in the current building stock that exists. There's a whole lot of intent to do the very best we can with what we've got. Uh, so you're saying I can't go into a bathroom gut and just make fun of the whole thing? <laughs> well, that's on. half the fun, man. Come on, man. <laughs> it is. I'll just keep it in my. I'll just keep it inside from now on. Well, especially if you all peel right, off right, the tile right. and you see you're the right. cookies. You know, if you see the cookies, then you, it's free game. Any anybody who's setting yeah. tiles with cookies, man, forget it. You're you're, you're free game. We're gonna eat you alive. <laughs> you did it to yourself you did it to yourself oh that's awesome uh you know one of the things that i always um tell people when they're okay let's say they started their construction business and they're just taking job after job they're taking little jobs they're taking bigger jobs they're building up but you know they're they always feel like they need their schedule filled and, you know, maybe not doing enough to suss out what the clients are like. And, you know, you can get in really crappy situations when you take on a lot of small jobs um, because you haven't explained drying time. And drying time is like the biggest deal, actually, in remodels. The house gets quiet because right. stuff's drying, paint, drywall, whatever. But I always encourage people, if, you're getting, if your bills are paid and you're in the black, you know, I mean, you might have some debt, but if you're like managing, okay, you don't have to take every job. Just wait some of it out. Wait for bigger jobs, better jobs, better paying jobs. But, but if you have three days down, then do research on how to make your company run better, how to be a better builder as a person, interacting with your clients, um, being more efficient with what you do in the office, uh, just anything like how your tools are organized is it are you just like a roving you know like does it, what's the back of your truck look like is it just hoses and tangles and you know what are you doing do you have a tool trailer like you know consider like what the next step is and take time off to do it because you can't do it at night when you're tired you kind of can but if you right. just hobble along and take every job and work seven days a week um and you're like, all right, I'm making bank. I'm going to buy a boat, you know, all this stuff. It's like, nah, you need to like take a little time to, to review your processes. And at least that's really served me uh, to, to like now I, there's a lot of things that I don't have to think about when I go to the client's house, when I do the quote, when, you know, it's already automated. And it's because I took some time off to do it. Because it doesn't just happen if you grind. It's true. You have to be aware of where your bandwidth is going. It, the amount of, of self-awareness you have to deploy to run the business successfully, there's a lot of balls to juggle, right? I would encourage anyone who is in the early stages or is debating whether to hire and scale up and take on more projects, I would encourage you to trust your gut. A friend of mine was asking me about a project the other day and said, listen, we got to get around to helping out uh, Lady XYZ because uh, 
she's fired everybody else and no one else can do the project. And I said, well, right there's your answer. I'm not going to work on that. If she's fired no. everybody else, oh, yeah. then it's no way, no thanks. You know, maybe with a yeah. system like the brain bucket where I could capture everything and I, you know, and you're in a situation where you're documenting the entirety of the experience, but you're dealing with a high risk scenario. Like a brain surgeon would never operate without being on camera for that same reason. They don't want the yeah. liability, you know? So do you need a crystal ball extension for the, for the brain bucket, an attachment, <laughs> please. Maybe a red flashing light that goes off whenever there's a bad oh, customer. Yeah. Oh yeah. That would be awesome. <laughs> Follow your gut instinct for a lot of this, but don't let feeling get in the way of, of doing good science with your it's work, true. you know? It's true. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mix there. And, you know, I don't know about you, Brant, but I think we've really put out some good content today. Do you think that, I think you guys need to write Brant a five-star review on iTunes <laughs> for this episode. And you can say it's because, Brant Taylor, the tool hacker, was on the show, and it was awesome. <laughs> he schooled you guys. Well, I'm, I'm trying to school myself. Is I, I hope that I'm wrong about most of the information and data that I'm encountering. I hope that I'm wrong, and I hope that there are other people who can add to this conversation with something other than opinion. I hope that they can bring facts and resource and information. Um, I have some great allies in uh, this industry. Most of building science has wrapped their arms around me and has welcomed me in like one of their own. And I'm an outlier. I come from an automotive background. I don't, I, I'm not a second generation anything. I'm not a legacy builder. This industry has welcomed me with open arms and has given me an opportunity to make my contribution. And I hope to reflect back to that respect and appreciation for uh, the legacy that they have built and for the messaging that they are putting out there. It's important for people to be talking and educating the general public about water management, about ventilated rain screens, about kickout flashing, about all these details that matter. These are small improvements that add and aggregate to buildings lasting longer and to us ultimately accomplishing the mission of putting less trash in the landfill. So all of these things are necessary points to be made. At the same time, we've got to let data uh, lead, the, lead the way into the future. And we got to speak truth to power always. It's the way it is. We truly do, because status quo is what brought us here to these compounding crises. Yes. It brought us to a staffing crisis, to a lumber crisis, to an affordability crisis. 56% of America can't afford to buy a house. That's our primary means of conveyance, Mike. If we're home builders, that's how we make our buck. And if only half the country can afford it, well, you can't necessarily blame the next generation for not wanting to get involved in that mess. We've got to do something about yep. creating affordability into this whole plan and in, do so in a way that doesn't take money from you and I. Because when we talk about affordable housing, it's an unpopular subject to bring up amongst high-performance builders who make more money for selling a higher sophistication and higher-performing product. So trying to bark up the tree of affordability to a group of high-performance builders, uh, that's a difficult task. But I promise you, I promise you, Based on the last four years of data and information that we have gathered, and we are early in this discovery, but I promise you there is a way for us to get paid more money for producing a more affordable product, but we have to revisit the building formula, the palette of ingredients, and the overall process from the ground up. But I promise you we can do it. We can make more money as a body of builders. We can pay our tradesmen better, more reliable wages. We can get them paid more frequently. And Mike, 
if we eliminate drying time from the build formula, then we don't have to struggle about the cash flow kinks that have hindered our industry during the drying time. So that's a lot of where our, our systemic problems come from with, uh, with tradesmen is the way in which we get paid. Nobody gets paid to watch this stuff dry, but it takes time away from all of our productivity and our forward progress in the overall build cycle. I like it. And everybody out there, I want you to go to at the tool hacker on Instagram and follow Brant because this conversation will continue. And you definitely should check out the YouTube video on shop class podcast. Yeah. And that every Wednesday night at seven shop class podcast. And then you guys can find me at, at the contracting handbook on Instagram. And I'm also Mike Kenoki K N O C H E on the hammer app. If you haven't checked it out, you should check that out. Uh, it's a, it's an app. It's like Instagram for trades people. Everybody in construction should download hammer ASAP. Absolutely. ASAP. And then I've started a Patreon account. If you guys want to make a little uh, donation to the, to the cause to keep putting out content here. And that's Patreon backslash Mike Kenoki, my name, K-N-O-C-H-E. Um, and leave us a review. What do you think, Brant? They should, should they leave us a review so more people can find us? We should absolutely take uh, qualified voices and elevate them across the industry. Uh, Mike Kenoki is a voice that should be heard far and wide. There's a great uh, wealth of knowledge mm, to be gained here. Uh, what there's also uh, waiting for other craftsmen and other uh, professional builders here is there's a quality interview format. And for those of you who take in podcasts, you understand uh, how unique this experience today was. Uh, Mike Kenoki is going to be the premier podcaster and construction interviewer of our time. I got to admit, I wasn't expecting that.